Ten years have passed since Tony Stark announced to the press that he was, in fact, Iron Man. Since then, the formation of the Avengers has brought on an onslaught of increasingly powerful villains, and with Ultron's devastating attack on the country of Sokovia, the world begins to reevaluate the need for the world's mightiest heroes. Meanwhile, a powerful thread who had patiently waited in the shadows after so long begins to finally enact his grand plan for the universe. On today's bonus episode, I rank all the movies from the Marvel Cinematic Universe's third phase. I'm your host, Christian Ong, and that's my cue. Welcome back to another bonus episode, cuties. I've been really wrestling with the decision as to when I should drop this third tier list for the MCU, since I won't really be doing another one for this universe, I don't know, for quite some time, at least until Phase 4 ends. Should I do one for the TV shows, like the ABC and or Netflix shows? I only say and or because I'm honestly trying to avoid watching Iron Fist. Sorry! I mean, if you're a fan, uh, you know, a fan favorite Iron Fist, everyone, and by everyone I mean maybe one person on the planet, then, you know, I, I just, I, I, what can I say? I, I can't do it. But if you enjoyed these episodes for a while and you feel like you've been waiting for an eternity for this... Well, that's perfect because, you know, the Eternals is coming up, is coming out later this week. And uh, Lord knows that it looks just as good as the Inhumans TV show. Is that sarcasm or is that the truth? I guess you'll have to listen to this week's episode and find out. I told you last episode, uh, you know, during the Dune episode, I was going to keep using that joke. Uh, I I remember I, I said that on Twitter one time and everyone started adding at me, you know, like, replying to me, saying, like, no, dude, the Inhumans TV show is trash. I know it's trash. I know it's garbage. But I just said that just to, you know, joke around. Because Eternals is a movie about a team of, you know, these self-important superheroes or whatever. Just like the Inhumans. But it just looks kind of corny on both ends of, you know whatever you want to call it but you know some people just were like dude uh inhumans was a really bad show eternals is going to be so much better you know that that is yet to be determined you know at least until i drop my episode y'all stay tuned for this week for that but in the meantime let's just cut to the chase and do a tier list for everything that's been leading up to it and give a refresher on how this all works so basically, I'll be going through each Marvel movie uh, and giving it a letter grade with some quick thoughts as to why I think it earned that grade. You know what? I think that's like the smoothest I've actually gotten explaining how the tier system works. But in case you missed it, here's a quick breakdown of all the Marvel movies so far. And if you want to hear my specific thoughts on each of them, I recommend that you go back and listen to those bonus episodes after today. Uh, let's start off with the F tier. Let's start with the worst of the worst and work our way up. Sitting in F tier, lonely F tier, we have Thor the Dark World. In D tier, we have Thor. C tier, we have The Incredible Hulk and Ant-Man. B tier, we have Iron Man 2, the first Avengers movie, uh, Iron Man 3, and Avengers Age of Ultron. 
Sitting in 8 tier, we have Captain America, the first Avenger. And right at the cream of the crop, we have S tier, which includes Iron Man, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and Guardians of the Galaxy. So, Phase 3 is definitely a lot chunkier. Uh, there's a ton of movies to go through. And as and pretty much as we're expanding existing storylines that came before it, uh, we're also bringing in a ton of new characters into the fold this time around. So, let's k- kick things off with Captain America Civil War. And that's going to be an A. Captain America, in my opinion, is one of the most consistent and well-constructed superhero trilogies. At least at the time of recording this. Uh, Civil War, to its credit, does a great job in serving as this sort of balancing act as part Captain America movie and part Avengers movie. You can even argue that it also sort of serves as a pseudo Iron Man 4, even though it strikes a good balance with this huge cast. It's also, in my opinion, because of this reason that it never really fully surpasses the quality enjoyment that I had from Winter Soldier. Uh, For me, when I watch a Captain America movie, Captain America should be at the forefront, and I feel like the focus on Steve's character is divided up in order to focus on the uh, the Avengers' struggle and the conflict as a whole, especially with Tony Stark. It makes sense to me, though, because, uh, you know, you have to have these uh, internal conflicts between each character, but to call it a Captain America movie kind of oversells how much time we get to spend, you know, uh, getting to know where Steve's psyche is and where uh, this goes for him in his personal journey through the film still i think it's one of my favorite movies to go back and rewatch every now and then the plot and tension is both entertaining and it's great to expand the avengers's interpersonal relationships with one another in uh, sort of in a way that we didn't really get to uh, see so much in the first and second avengers movie since we're all focusing on this greater threat The villain is also interestingly used, and the conflict between the Avengers themselves is well done. That there really isn't a clear-cut right side to be on, uh, though the film, of course, is going to favor Steve's disposition quite a bit. But it's it's a fun movie, and a great end to uh, Chris Evans' trilogy as Captain America. Up next, we have Doctor Strange, and that is going to be a C. It's not going to be a B, it's going to be a C. This is just kind of a boring rinse and repeat superhero origin story, you know. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is always great to watch on screen, but I couldn't really, <clears throat> I couldn't really connect to his character as much or care too much about the lore and plot of the movie. The villains were uninteresting, and the kaleidoscope-like visuals uh, were great. But at this point, it's just a bunch of laser fights, these magic laser fights that happen back and forth, and we've seen this before, except this time. As I've said, the lasers are made of magic. It's not bad, but it's definitely not worth dipping back into once you've seen it already. So, I don't know. Doctor Strange is just kind of there. I think people are really excited for the second Doctor Strange movie that's coming out only because, you know, we get this uh, multiverse aspect to it. But I don't really think anyone really got hyped over Doctor Strange as a movie. But, I don't know. Up next, we have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and that is going to sit in beats here. Everything that made the first film great pretty much just carries uh, itself over really well. James Gunn's direction is entertaining as usual, and sometimes the humor gets a little carried away. But overall, it's a really good movie. Kurt Russell is a fun villain, but the plot feels a little half-baked, and the Guardians as a group split up for the most part. While I understand that usually is used to develop their individual characters through like these smaller arcs, a lot of it is 
kind of just moderately interesting, but also pretty underwhelming as a lot of the revelations that they learn about themselves aren't anything new beyond what we've come to expect. Still, this movie has a lot of heart, and if you like the first film, this is a definitely uh, this is definitely a good follow-up to that. Alright, and then up next we have Spider-Man Homecoming. Yo, that's gonna be an A. This film had a lot riding on it when when it premiered with the fans. Uh, if you look at it, you know, from a bird's eye view, this is the third iteration of Spider-Man in a span of 15 years. And it had to carry uh, over the debut of Tom Holland's version of the character when he appeared during Captain America Civil War. On top of having to go against uh, two different versions that came before him with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. But fortunately, a lot of this new take on Spider-Man works and excels in meeting fans' expectations. I feel like this is one of the movies uh, or one of the versions of the character that really captures a lot of uh, Spider-Man's trademark characteristics that made him so enduring after all these years. Peter is shown to be intelligent, witty, funny, and his desires are to be taken seriously as a hero, uh, but also he has to juggle between balancing his duties to save people with his, uh, alongside with his personal life. Granted, you know, this is true with previous incarnations of the character, but I feel like the MCU version strikes kind of a more even balance that feels more true to the comics' depictions. Peter is given a lot more tech than we're used to seeing him this time around, but it also uh, acts as an effective plot device that allows us to get more varied action sequences that we hadn't seen before in a Spider-Man movie. The, sp- uh, the supporting cast, they're also great too. Marissa Tomei is great as Aunt May. I love uh, Jacob Batalon as Ned. Uh, and also Zendaya is always fun to watch with her snarky quips. But uh, in particular, I also think that Michael Keaton is a great menacing villain that also has a plausible backstory that feels like he's this byproduct of the uh, actions of the Avengers. Also, Jan, uh, John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. Uh, make their appearances, and they're great as usual. And the banter that they have with Tom Holland is also really uh, entertaining to watch as well. Homecoming is a great reintroduction to the character that doesn't get bogged down with Peter's origins and just thrusts us right into the new version of the character with plenty of entertaining moments that just works as a coming-of-age comedy. And then up next we have Thor Ragnarok, and that is going to be an S tier. If you notice earlier, the first two Thor movies sitting right at F and D respectively. But I'll be honest and willing to admit that I didn't really like Ragnarok when it came out. Uh, it it kind of took me maybe like the second or third watch to really, you know, ease into it and kind of really enjoy it. It felt like it was too far of a departure from the previous Thor movies and, you know, tried to stylistically echo uh, what made the Guardians of the Galaxy movies work. For me, I, I you know, the Thor movies have their own identity. And, you know, in my opinion at the time, they, you know should have been consistent with the third one, but it wasn't until I thought about the previous Thor movies that I realized I never really liked them in the first place. Thor was always sort of this, like, this, you know, strong, powerful Avenger, but he was also the most boring Avenger. And I I think that Taika Waititi made the right call and uh, pivoted in a different direction uh, this time around. Ragnarok is light, fantastically paced, and 
I think the writing is just really, you know, sharp and funny, while also making a lot of surprising choices that bleeds into the last two Avenger movies. It makes clear sense in retrospect how Thor fits well with the Guardians in Phase 4 coming up, so I'm just excited to see where they go from here. And then, yeah, I think it's going to be fun. Uh, I, I don't know if he, if Chris Hemsworth is going to be Thor in uh, Guardians Volume 3, but I know the Guardians are going to be in Thor uh, Love and Thunder, so that's going to be dope. Up next, we have Black Panther, and that is going to be an A. Black Panther is one of those superhero films that doesn't devote its time putting its main character in the suit for the majority of the movie because it happens pretty seldomly when you watch back. But instead, it rather focuses on fleshing out the films' characters as believable people with actual struggles. This is one of the rare instances in which the MCU challenges its audience in giving you know, the antagonist an understandable motive and agenda. And Michael B. Jordan, in my opinion, is the perfect actor to cast and embody that type of villain. He's, you know, uh, definitely uh, scarred from his past. And that carries over in this ideology that while it might come and sound like it's coming from a good place, it also uh, has a, a, a sinister undertone to it as well. Uh, it's... It's because of those motives that we also see T'Challa's own belief system shaken and then changed for the better by the end of the movie. Something that we rarely see in this type of genre. Not only that, but Black Panther expands the world of the MCU by showing the complex culture of the nation of Wakanda and showing how the technology works and the different you know uh, traditions. Uh, it's really cool to kind of see that uh, flesh out on screen and and expand uh, you know and build the MCU in a way that. Uh, you know, we hadn't seen before. It's a solid movie all around with plenty of notable things to say about our own actual lives, and I think that Black Panther is an effective vehicle to question the power that a nation can have and how it can make a difference. But we've covered so far right now about half of, of Phase 3's catalog, and I'm telling you, it is a dense catalog. We have plenty of, uh, you know, more movies to go through. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'll break down the rest of the film uh, in this huge uh, Infinity Saga, including that of the most recent Avenger movies. Stay tuned. Welcome back to our program. Today, we're talking all about Marvel, the MCU, Phase 3 in one tier list. Let's break it down with Avengers Infinity War, and that is going to be right in S tier. Infinity War is this perfect culmination of the decade-long cinematic experience that began with Iron Man in 2008. You really see all these pieces come together, and you can see Kevin Feige, you know, puppeteering everything uh, leading up to this very moment. And I think that the Russo brothers effectively capture a looming sense of dread as Thanos moves forward with his campaign to collect the rest of the Infinity Stones. And it just leaves this grave, you know... Uh, like a, a dark tension scene to scene you know this film does the impossible by juggling between screen time of even more characters than before but infinity war rarely ever feels ever overcrowded somehow i don't even know how it did that but instead it smartly balances its subplots to give one of the most shocking cliffhangers that creates even more hype for the next film to come uh, josh brolin's performance is thanos awesome 
S-tier quality for sure. He is restrained but terrifying and we see far more development into his character's disposition in a way that we rarely got to uh, see in brief in, in the brief glimpses that we've uh, seen him in in past films. Avengers Infinity War is a massive undertaking of, you know, long colliding uh, storylines that have been uh, planted since the very beginning and have been building up for years in a way that is sure to entertain fans as well as shock them too. And uh, to follow up Infinity War, we have Ant-Man and the Wasp, and that's going to be a B. It's honestly very hard to follow up a movie like Infinity War, and uh, I I can see that fans were searching for more clues and more information to go off of uh, from the cliffhanger from Infinity War. But Ant-Man and the Wasp is pretty much a standalone film that mostly feels like filler, even though it leaves clues on how it can be implemented in Avengers Endgame. Ghost, as a villain, I don't know, she's just a lot to be desired. She barely feels important or relevant, or I hate to be harsh, but barely even a character as well. Ant-Man and the Wasp is an entertaining sequel on its own. Paul Rudd is great, and Evangeline Lilly are also entertaining to watch. And it offers plenty of additional backstory to its key characters, but with its plot and its overall importance, it's okay. You know, it, it, it has its place, but it, it just isn't entirely interesting. And then up next, we have the controversial Captain Marvel. And before you get mad, before, you know, uh, my, my DMs get blown up with angry messages, I, you know, just know it is going to be sitting right at D tier. But wait, hear me out. Captain Marvel, as a film, was so divisive amongst the fan base in which toxic sexism upon its release was so rampant and really disappointing to see. And I do not condone any of the the hate that it got for that reason as well because it, it is just pretty gross and really stupid. But a lot of the review bombing was severely unwarranted for sure. However, that's not to say that Captain Marvel was a good movie by any means. Uh, you know, Brie Larson, while she's excellent in other movies that I've seen her in, like uh, The Room, um, or I think it's just Room. Which one is the one that's the good one? I don't know. Either way, Room is in the title. Go check that out. It's really good. But I, I don't know. I just felt like... Uh, her character was given very little within the script to showcase any other character traits or motivations to just flesh out who Carol Danvers is. And and she just comes across as both brooding and unrelatable, almost to a f- infuriating, infuriating degree. Like, I, I know nothing about who this character is. While Captain Marvel is touted uh, as one of the most powerful characters in the MCU... Other similar characters like Scarlet Witch or the Hulk on that raw power and magnitude scale were at least given an arc that helps show the flaws and complexities of their personalities, to which, I don't know, Captain uh, Captain Marvel barely has. And on top of that, couple it with a plot that is just so forgettable and then also throws in a lot of weird, odd uh, retcons. Um, Captain Marvel as a film is just an origin story that feels formulaic and boring. Once again, after, uh, you know, Infinity War, it just comes across as filler 
and doesn't really, you know, add anything for what's to come. And finally, we have Avengers Endgame. And that's going to be also an S tier. Uh, you know, I, I, I know it might be overrated to say that, but it is deservedly so. Endgame is a fantastic follow-up to Infinity War's devastating ending. You can watch both back-to-back, and it works as a great Avengers movie. It was incredibly smart to allow the audience one last film with the original Avengers uh, right in the forefront, of course, joined with newer characters uh, from previous movies on this time-traveling mission that explores some of the biggest moments of the MCU. Not only does it pay homage to the past, but it also lays foundation for future titles to come as much of the MCU today stems heavily off the ramifications within this film. Endgame feels far more hopeful, and it's just a wonderful send-off to the actors that have been at the roots of the MCU's inception, with plenty of uh, fun callbacks and fan service moments to please the crowd and also entertain new audience members as well. It's an entertaining payoff and conclusion to the uh, Infinity Saga as a whole, and it just leaves fans in a state of unknown and what could come next. And that uncertainty is definitely uh, exciting, and it's uh, made Phase 4 all the more enjoyable and unpredictable. And finally, in Phase 3, we have Spider-Man Far From Home, and that is going to be a B. Right in B tier. Far From Home serves as a more boots-on-the-ground kind of epilogue that explores pretty much how the world has been affected by the end of Endgame. Jake Gyllenhaal is a a great charismatic performer, and he brings that type of performance in this movie as usual. Uh, Tom Holland is great in the role of Peter Parker, as he's always been in the past, and it's nice to see their scenes together and uh, how that relationship plays out through the rest of the movie. But, you know, this time here we see Peter emotionally scarred from the burden of the final fight alongside the Avengers. And we see how that affects his, you know, day-to-day experience and uh, the moral burdens of being a hero. And and what does that mean to take on a legacy of someone that you feel was greater than you? It's a lot of, you know, heavy emotional themes for especially a teenager uh, type of character and it's nice to see how he uh, tries to handle and navigate that experience Uh, we see a lot of the pressure of responsibility that he's also burdened with in wanting to just enjoy being a kid and with his friends but also having to be spider-man and it's sort of that same responsibility that is the common thread in a lot of uh, you know spider-man's comic book storylines and this is kind of uh, a, a new take in, in a way that we hadn't really seen so much in his previous uh, appearances in the MCU. Uh, Far From Home's plot is just decent, and the comedic writing is always pretty consistent, but it also creates plenty of excitement for the third film to come later this year with that nice end credit scene. So, I don't know, Spider-Man Far From Home, it's an okay epilogue. It, it, it does the job in introducing people with uh, concepts that uh, will be carried over into phase four but overall yeah phase three is is the longest phase in the whole series but it also has a lot of you know really great quality titles that are worth revisiting i would say that the mcu formula that you hear you know some media outlets throw around 
didn't really start until this phase because it's by far the most polished in terms of serializing this long overarching storyline while also creating, you know, uh, a decent to great standalone set of films. Yet you also see a lot of things overlap. Like you see some characters crossover, you see some plot beats, you know, uh, uh, make an impact in other films. And, and Phase 3 as a whole uh, finds a nice clear through line to the most recent Avengers uh, movies as well as we uh, go right into Infinity War and Endgame. In a way, it also begins to feel a bit repetitive, but it's also been a formula that works in Marvel's favor to the point where you get films like Black Panther breaking records and bringing home billions of dollars for the company. So Phase 3 is a lot more... Uh, mechanical in the way it operates so it's it's more fully realized as this larger storytelling machine than previous entries but it's also because of that process of polish that it is just going to keep refining itself through phase four and beyond so i don't know i like phase three it's kind of uh an easy uh set of films to keep going back into and enjoying i think you know the the quality is just you know consistently carried over but if people want to send their feedback on this episode and let me know what you think about Phase 3. Did you like it? Which was your favorite phases? You know, uh, maybe you're you're uh, an originalist. Like, you like the first phase that started it all. Because it definitely is really good, too. Or you like some key moments in Phase 2 and 3. Let me know which one uh, which one of these movies was your favorite. And let's just, let's just talk nerdy. You can always reach me on Instagram at That's My Q Podcast or on Twitter at Q Podcast. You can also email the show with your thoughts at That's My Q Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, of course, I got to thank J1K for the use of their music, No Flowers, from the Vault Volume 3 beat tape, which you can find on j1kmusic.bandcamp.com. Good beats, dope rhythms. So check it out. J1K is the best. Uh, I'm going to leave you off with a quote. And also, before I do so, be sure to come back uh, to this you know, show in a few days' time as we talk all about the Eternals in our upcoming review for episode 31. But I'm going to leave you off with one of the most prominent quotes from uh, Avengers Infinity War and comes from the big bad purple dude, Thanos. So I'll try to do my best uh, Thanos impression. I know what it's like to lose, to feel so desperately that you're right, but fail nonetheless. It's frightening. Turns the legs to jelly. I ask, to what end? Dread it. Run from it. Destiny arrives all the same. And now it's here. Or should I say, I am. I'm your host, Christian Ong, and that's my cue.